0: All right, if we can uh, gather in, we will start Sunday school. Well, welcome back. I had some great conversations with all of you, or a number of you, from last week. That was a lot of fun to see you guys interact with the scripture and see the, the core of what the early church was. taking to the world, the gospel. And so we want to continue in that uh, thoughts today. I'm going to be here this week, and next week we're going to continue to talk about uh, how the apostles, if you want to think of that, or the early church, how they evangelized. We're going to look at a number of narratives or passages that uh, help us see how they communicated with people. And so before we do that, why don't we uh, begin in prayer, get our hearts and our minds tuned up. So, Lord, I thank you this morning that we get... This incredible opportunity again to meet, and what a divine setting it is that you bring your saints together to interact around your Word. Um, it's been quite a week; lots of stuff going on. I'm sure we're all our minds have been spinning with a culture that we live in, and so we come to you this morning and pray that you give us a certain sense of rest and a certain sense of focus on you and on what you have to say to us, and that you would stir our hearts again with the realities of you and what you say. So. Looking forward to this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, this seems really loud up here, Zach. Is this loud to you all? It's okay? Okay. Because it sounds like, wow. Okay. So I want to jump through here. We we talked last week. Yeah, let's just go back. We Last week we were just making emphasis that, that we have been given knowledge from God. Okay? He's given it to us. Um, it's a proclamation, it's something we take to the world, he's called us to it. And what I want to do this week as we jump in here, I, I don't want us to forget something. Um, in these couple weeks that I speak to you, there's a number of, of you could call them nuances, issues that kind of Christians even wrestle with a little bit. Not really doctrinally, but like, how do we approach these things? How do we communicate with people? Uh, are any of you familiar with like a, a kid's storybook? It was called The Gospel Blimp familiar with that I've mentioned people I'm amazed how many people don't know about that yeah you all don't know either okay there was this just this kid's story that somehow if we were to take you know Jesus is Lord if you will and put it on a blimp in our airplane and fly it over the city you'd evangelize everybody (laughs) and it was this wonderful idea right and so as we get into the next few weeks I want us to understand that we have spent a tremendous amount of time focusing on you know, what we call the gospel, right? This message that we need to proclaim. And we will never back away from that. But at the same time, we live in this world where we deal with real people and real questions and real context and real issues. And we have to go into those issues, into those lives, into those, all the different varieties of lives even here, the diversity in the best sense of that, right? And take that message in the middle of that. And there's a lot to think about in that. And so we're going to kind of get into that this week. The other thing that we get into that I don't ever want us to forget, and it's the title this morning, is I kind of just touch on a couple things before we get to the passage, is that we live in a world that is supernatural. And it's easy to miss that in a materialistic culture that we all live in. And it's not just supernatural over here and material over here. God actually created one world. And in that one world... Are real material things at the same time they're real supernatural things, right? The scriptures we have a real document that was written with real ink, if you will, real paper, if you will, on real uh, by a real personality and let it's, And yet, it's 100% supernatural because it's carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was fully man, fully God. We're sitting here as fully material beings dealing with our health and dealing with practical things, and yet there's something more to us than just the physical. And that's the way God's portrayed the world. And we live in, again, in a society, a culture, a time, and history that those two things are often tried to be divided. And we don't live in a divided world. We actually live in a unified world. And so when we talk about some of these things that we talk about, we're going to talk about some practical things. Where You're going to see this morning, you know, Paul reasoned. With people, He tried to persuade people and yet there is the supernatural reality that when you get to the gospel we keep emphasizing that that's what people need to hear, right? But there are nuances around that in getting to that. And so what I want you to realize this morning when we think of supernatural reality, a couple just quick thoughts and you'll see them as we open the passages. We're on this journey, right? The scripture says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way, that's all I want you to emphasize this morning, the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow, and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. It's a path, it's a journey. It's always this journey, but I say walk by the Spirit. You see that throughout the scripture, walk, live. It's this journey that we're on. If we live by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit as well. So there's a sense in which we're movement, right? There's this this movement in our lives. That's a real journey. Um, one of my favorite stories uh, is John Bunyan's um, Pilgrim's Progress. And I love this imagery. It's just this one of these art lithographs. Um, I think they call them a lithograph, but it's just, I just I just love it because it's the evangelist meeting with Pilgrim, and he basically says, Do you see yonder wicket Gate? And you realize this Pilgrim and the whole story, those of you familiar with, it's a journey. And human beings, all of us, all the people you run into are on a journey. And that's what's fascinating about this picture is you don't see evangelism, if you will, fully unfolding here. It's not like this moment in time, the gospel's here, boom, it happens. This pilgrim's on a journey. And all of a sudden, the evangelist shows up. And in that moment on the journey, the pilgrim's wondering which way to go. And he says, oh, you see on yonder wicket gate? Go there. And that's the pl- part we play in people's lives, is we're helping them on a journey pointing to the next step. Now, sometimes we're in those really cool divine moments where we see conversion happen. But most of the time, it's not like that. Most of the time, we're, just, we're, we're taking a person, nope, next step, that's the next step, that's the next step. And you'll see that unfold. And what I want you to recognize is that is a divine, supernatural journey. It's not just mundane. It's not just you know, uh, uh, material. There's something going on. And the other side, uh, another thing that God tells us, clearly it's a real battle. We are in a war. I tell young guys all the time, you guys think video games are cool. I'm telling you, you get to enter into the real thing. Like you can actually battle with demonic forces. You can actually do it. You can actually be in a war because you actually are in a war. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. You know, we're seeing all sorts of really dramatic stuff in our culture this week. You guys, behind all that stuff is a huge cosmic conflict. Right? It goes all the way back to the beginning. It's real. I see some of you nodding. It's a cosmic conflict. Let's not forget that. Okay? And it's a divine rescue. I mean, this is such a cool thing. We've been called to be part of the rescue plan. It's a rescue. You know, Jesus said this to Simon Peter when he said, you know, you know, he was saying, okay, who do you say the Son of Man is? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look what he says. But blessed are you, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You didn't just come up with this out of some material thing. But my Father who was in heaven revealed this to you. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And listen, and the gates of Hades will not overpower. Right? I don't know if you ever think, think about that. That is an offensive posture. It's an offensive but The gates of Hades cannot stop us. We are to storm the gates of hell. Oh, um... Matthew 16, 13, 14? Sorry, yeah, I forgot to put that in here when I was putting this in here. So just think of it. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. The gates hold people in bondage. They're in a prison, and we get to storm the gates. Have you ever thought about that? See, a lot of times we think of it differently. It's like, no, 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 we get to storm the gates, and they can't stop us. Because what we've been given, right, was a divine message, divine knowledge, divine proclamation, a divine spirit, He's given us everything we need. And look it, I will give you the keys of kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's amazing. Like, we're engaged in this reality of heaven and hell. And God has called us to be part of it. That's what we're doing in this evangelism. So I just wanted you to see that as we go into the stories this morning. because so We'll look, and if you'll turn with me to Acts 8 this morning, you see this right away. And so we're going to just do a similar, by the way, uh, the kind of the plan here a little bit is similar to what we did with um, when we talked about evangelism and Jesus. You know, we go to a passage and we make some observations, kind of try try to draw some things from it. I'm just doing the same thing over the next couple two weeks, this week and next week, with uh, a few of the passages in Acts and trying to look at some context and what was going on here. So turn with me to this. This is the uh, Ethiopian eunuch story. It's in Acts eight. 25, and uh, why don't I read these 15 verses, and then uh, let's draw some, uh, you know, I'll probably skip around a little bit to make it brief, but let's get to the heart of it. So, uh, you move down here, there's a lot of persecution going on, they're being scattered, uh, and it says, you know, of course, which is an interesting discussion, it's in the middle of persecution, I mean, they've been scattered. You say, what's going on, God, you know, and it's to spread the gospel. (laughs) God uses persecution to spread the gospel, crazy. You were preaching the gospel, and as they went, they were preaching the gospel to many villages. Verse 25, now 26. Now catch this. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert road. So he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch said, well, how could I, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shears it's silent so he does not open his mouth in humiliation. His judgment was taken away. Who will relate uh, his ge- uh, yeah, who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth. Beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Beginning in that scripture, then he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to the water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the... S- Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through and kept preaching the gospel as he went in all these cities. Okay, so let's look at some observations of this. This is what I want you to catch. Look, let's just think this through, okay? This is really fun. You use your you know, sanctified imagination... Okay, to kind of say, okay, what's going on here? Let's, let's look at the nuances and the details. Okay, so first of all, it's a real spirit supernatural reality like I began this morning. To realize all of our lives are caught up in a journey, in a rescue, in a supernatural battle. The angel of the Lord guides Philip. And of course, the question, does God guide you? Have you ever considered that the people you're crossing on a daily basis are actually the Spirit of God guiding you to cross their path? Or do you think it's just, oh, this is just coincidence, and it's just material, and it's just a mundane world, and God's kind of out there somewhere, and I just have to kind of manage this thing? See, I think God is infinite. In fact, I know God is infinite, which means every detail of my life is orchestrated by God, which means every person I come across is a divine moment. Do we see it that way? Do we have eyes to see what's going on around us, okay? So God is working at the same time. All this is going on, right? God is working in this Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, you think of this eunuch's life, his whole life. God has put all these pieces in place in this guy's life. He's a court official. He must have some kind of some sense of integrity. Something about him that he could be a court official. He's entrusted with the queen. Of course, he's a eunuch, and they did that, right? But the, but the fact is, is he is entrusted with the queen's treasures says something about who he is. Just think, again, let your mind wander. You, this, this is not just an everyday guy. This guy is a kind of a high-profile guy, and he deals with money, and, and he must have some, some ability to think pretty well and have some sorts of integrity and under rule, and there's a lot about him, right? Entrusted with the treasury. He must be a smart man. He can read, which is interesting, right? In a culture that a lot of people couldn't read, he could read, so he was educated. And then, interesting, right? He worshipped at Jerusalem. He's worshipping Yahweh. You know, is he Jewish? You know, he, he seems to be what, what would have been called maybe a God-fearer. Are you familiar with that term, a God-fearer? They were, they were Gentiles that, you know, were leaning into Judaism. And I think technically they weren't circumcised yet, right? Is that usually the case, J.D., I think? And so, but they were worshipping Yahweh. They were pursuing the, the Jewish God, if you want to say it that way. The true and living God. And... Uh, he was just worshiping. Think about this, okay? Just, a, again, an interesting thought. He's just unworshipping. He'd spent time worshiping. He's driving back home on this desert road, and there he is reading aloud Isaiah. Now, you think of a person that would leave church, and they'd go out in the parking lot, or they'd go to the local coffee shop, and they'd open up their Bible. That person's looking for something. That person just didn't show up, check off a box, say, okay, I'm going to go watch a football game now. Right? Think about it. I mean, mean, this guy is engaged, right? And there's something to look for that. He's looking at it. He sees it, okay? He's done just where, and what's that tell you? That's why I asked the question. And he's reading Isaiah. You think of just in the divine providence of God, he just happens to be reading Isaiah, right? Just happens to be reading about Jesus. And yeah, as I put there, note what he's reading. Coincidence? Now, think about that in your life. We're looking out there. We're saying, God, where are the doorways? Who are the people that we are to pursue? Now, we can talk to anybody, but there's these clues. There's these things going on in people. You know, I've shared some of those things with you. Why is that person wearing a cross? Is it just decoration or does it mean something? You're not going to know unless you ask them, right? There's, what's going on? Why are they going to that place? Why are they religious? Why are they pursuing this thing? Why are they thinking about this? Why are they reading this sort of material? What's going on? And it's, again, it's having eyes to see. It's kind of like putting your you know, radar out there, if you will. Um, so it's interesting. Philip is delivered to him. Okay? Is it possible that God is aligning your life this day with the Ethiopian? Is it possible this day that God is literally delivering you to somebody? What a cool thought, right? But to think your life is that important, that's how God sees it. And he's crossing your paths for purposes. Uh, and again, do you have eyes to see? And then practically, what's Philip do? He asks this question. Do you know what this means? Right? He sees this guy. He's obviously, quote-unquote, religious, right? He's doing this religious thing. Hey, do you know what that means? And you know, I've shared that with you. The cross one's a big one, but so many people wear a cross. Hey, you got the cross, and you know what that means? Have you ever thought about that? It's amazing what people will tell you. Ethiopian, how can I unless someone tells me? He's you teachable. Know, he's teachable. He's open. And, you know, I haven't parenthetically, here's the door. The door's just open. Step through it. You know? And again, it, com- it comes, I just want you to catch this, a question. It comes from a question you ask somebody. So one of the key questions I ask people a lot of times, if it's kind of a cold connection with people, you ever think about spiritual stuff? I like to think about spiritual. You think about spiritual things. Man, does that open a door quick to people. You'll find out right away. You know, I do. And all of a sudden, it's a doorway, and you find out people are there. Um, Of course, he immediately responds, and there is this incredible divine moment here, right? It clearly looks like repentance. It clearly looks like like salvation to the point of obedience. Like, I'm ready to be baptized now. I believe this. I want this now, right? And just another little side note in this narrative that's kind of an interesting little side note is is this question about follow-up. Okay? And I, I can't go down a whole trail on this today, but you find this throughout the scripture, and it's interesting. You see this in Mark 5 with the, Jesus healing the, the demoniac. You know, G, the demoniac says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, no, just go back and tell your people what God's done for you. There's no follow-up. There's no church to go to. There's no discipleship. And yet something happened there. Now, I'm not saying We shouldn't bring people into discipleship, or we shouldn't follow people up. That's not the point. But there is something divine about salvation. It's okay to share the gospel with people and let God do what God's going to do. And not every single time in all of those settings are you going to be able to, quote, unquote, do follow-up. Discipleship, bring a person to church. I mean, we're always pursuing that, right? But there's nothing wrong with going out there and divining, contacting somebody. You see it right in Philip, right? He's there, shares the gospel, boom, he's gone. He that began a good work will complete it. God will do that. And we shouldn't be shy to do that sort of thing. So it's just an interesting thing. Samaritan woman was the same way. You know, she just went back and told everybody what was happening. You know, It's just a great story. So those are some interesting insights of that story that you see. And again, the big, the big thing, I, I guess, that we're trying to say here is that you, having eyes to see and, and recognizing this person is on a journey, and where are they at on this journey? Lord, help me to see it, and would you line my life with them? And is there this moment, literally sometimes a moment, that I can say something that will move that person another step on that journey? And seeing life that way, and recognizing life that way, it really like, you know, it could be the you know the waitress at the at the at the you know at the dinner table. It's the, you know, it's the person you're you're paying it in a counter. It's it's. It's these people you work with. It's your st- students you interact with. It's like every single day you're having encounters with people. It's the gas stations you go to. It's the people you do business with. It's, those are all divine things. So, let's go to another passage here. Um, Acts 13. Um, and you see a lot of this too. This is an interesting. So, this is Acts 13, 14. Now, we can't read all of this because we don't have time, but I want to, just highlight a few things because there's a number of these types of passages, stories in the book of Acts. And I just want to highlight a few aspects of this, okay? So let's look at Acts 13. And this is uh, the first missionary journey and drop down to like 13:14. says, Paul and his companions, chapter, uh, 13, th- yeah, 13:13. 13, 13. Paul and his companions uh, put out to sea, Paphos, Perga, Pamphila, but John left them, and then but going on from Perga, they arrived at Sidian Antioch. And the Sabbath day, it was the Sabbath day, and they went into the synagogue. It's the first thing I want you to, to see here. Uh, they went into the synagogue, and in time here, they're asked, you know, after the reading of the Law and the Prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, brethren, if you have a word of exhortation of the people, say it. And so Paul stands up. And so the context here is Paul is in the synagogue, and he's speaking to Jewish people. That's that's the big thing I want you to see, and throughout here, if you start going down through this text, he starts with men of Israel, and and you who fear God, okay? So the first thing I want you to catch here um, is that Paul um, and his strategic thinking, okay, it goes with the Great Commission, right? The the, the Great Commission, and even Jesus' work, there's this reality that the gospel first came to the Jewish people. The whole mission began with the Jewish people. You know, you can tie it all the way back to the Old Testament. And of course, some Jews were circumcised by the Spirit and received it, and many rejected it and became enemies of the cross. But the fact is, is that when Paul begins his missionary work, and you'll see this throughout here, is that he starts with the Jews. His, His custom, we'll see here in a moment, his custom is to start in the synagogue. He always goes to the synagogue and he starts with the Jews. And so there's a part of that that he's commanded to because of the Great Commission, right? The com- Great Commission began with the, with the Jews. but there's another p- part of it, I hope you can see that. I know I guess I made it a little small on the, on the PowerPoint. Um, I'm just putting this term again. this is one of those little little things you kind of think about. We kind of have a term for it. We call it pre-evangelism, and we've brought that up in uh, when we were talking about Jesus, right? Um, he's going to people who already have pieces of the puzzle. That's all I'm saying. There's a sense in which These people are already primed to hear the next steps of the gospel because they understand so much already in place. And again, in our lives, we have people where the pieces are in place. And some of us who are older lived in a culture where a lot more pieces were in place. And some of you uh, young guys and gals are dealing with a culture where far fewer pieces are put in place, which has been an interesting transition for us older people to recognize, like, oh, you guys, they don't even have those pieces. We're so used to people having certain pieces. And then you deal with people that are like, what is sin? Is it even real? you know <laughs> no, really? I mean, you're dealing with a culture that has all these questions like we took we just you know m- my age kind of took for granted, even as non Christians there were lots of things that we knew, you know sexuality things right you, we all remember like when you were high school, I wasn't even a Christian, you just knew certain things were wrong. I mean we just all knew that, not anymore, <laughs> and so. But the fact is, as Paul's going to these people that already have, you know, part, part of it's the Great Commission, start with you know, start with Jews, and it was part of the Great Theological Mission. But there's something strategic, too, about that. And so it's just an interesting observation. And then as we go down through here, um, it's a, he's evangelizing in this Jewish context. Notice here then, so men of Israel, um, he talks about that. And then you drop down here in 26 through 28, and he talks about brethren, Brethren, sons of Abraham, he keeps talking to them, your sons, uh, men of Israel, and those who fear God. So there's people there, that, again, they're, they're Gentiles, but they have a, you know, they're have they leaning into Judaism, if you will. Um, verse 38, uh, you, you keep moving down through 38, therefore let it be known, you brethren. So it's very right, contextual, he's speaking to the Jews. And I'm not reading all this for the sake of time this morning, but what does he do? He refers to the Old Testament continually. He's telling Old Testament stories. He's talking about prophecy. He's talking about what happened. And you see this throughout. You see this like uh, a big one. Uh, a big, again, I was reading a bunch of these this week. You know, Stephen. Remember when Stephen was stoned? Um, but, I mean, he's preaching Old Testament to these Jewish people. That's all I want you to really, the big thing I want you to kind of get, is that there's something here about going to the Jewish people. There's pieces already in place. And I've brought it up with you guys. Um, I found this a lot with um, like Roman Catholics that may not be regenerated, but man, they got a lot of pieces of the puzzle. And so there's something about that, that world and communicating in that world that, you know, there's a lot of hoops you don't have to go through. That's all, that's all I'm trying to get at here. And so Paul did a lot of this when he went to the, uh, to the Jews. Um, the other thing you'll see throughout here, let me try to get to some of this, see if I got this. Yeah, um, I want you to see, I'm going to look at a few passages here. Um, There was a lot of, even in the middle of that, look at here, in Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together, and notice what he says in 14 here, and spoke in such a way that a large number of people believed. Spoke in such a way. And you'll see that throughout the book of Acts. He was reasoning. He was persuading. He was giving arguments. And so, again, we've spent a tremendous amount of time in this class emphasizing, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. Never deviate from that. But there is a reality around that, that you're looking for these doorways and you're communicating with people. And God uses these, well, it's often called secondary means, to reason with people. And you're looking for doorways and you're looking for discussions and you're looking for arguments and you're entering into those things. And Paul did that. Um, in fact, even in this case, in Acts chapter 14, 1 and 2, in Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a way that a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. But look at it. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up what? The minds of the Gentiles. They were obviously giving other types of arguments, right? And so it became this debate about ideas and reasoning and, and, and that sort of thing. So God uses these kinds of means. Um, Acts 17, 1-4. Now when they had traveled through Amphip- uh, uh, Amphipolis and uh, uh, Poly, uh, how do you pronounce it? Poly- uh, Apola. that's good. They came to Thessalonica, I can say that. Okay, Acts 17, look at this, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and according to Paul's custom, that's what, again, I want you to see, his custom was whenever he went someplace, the first place he went was the synagogues, he went to the synagogues, and actually at the end of 13, it's interesting, because there was such an upheaval in Antioch City, uh, uh, uh Antioch uh, Sidian, that he... Um, uh, he, he said, okay, we're done. We're done with you Jews. We're going to the Gentiles. We're going to shake our dust off our feet. But then a few verses later, in 14, first thing he did, went back to the synagogues. So in one sense, he did shake his dust off his feet, but in another sense, strategically, he always started in synagogues. So where there was a synagogue, and according to Paul's custom, he visited them for three Sabbaths, and look what he says, reasoned with them from the scriptures. There's something about knowing the scriptures. Again, we keep focusing on the gospel. But there's a reasoning going on. He's using different scriptures to try to convince them, right? Explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. And what's to say some were persuaded. They're persuaded. There's a persuasion that goes on. And so, you know, again, we keep trying to emphasize that there's a few other places like this, Acts 18, Acts 26, there's this reasoning, this trying to persuade, okay? So, hope that makes some sense. So we keep emphasizing we want to preach the gospel, we want to preach the gospel, we want to preach the gospel, we want people to get to the gospel, we want to figure out what their questions are and get to the gospel. We never leave that, but there is a sense in which what we're doing, there's this art and nuance, there's this discussion, we'll get to it eventually more in this class, we talk about apologetics, but even that, there's different types of apologetics, there's different ways to argue, some say, well, this is the better way to argue, this is, a. Do-. you see, those are, those are kind of in-house, intramural Debates, discussions, and they're valid. They're all they're all really interesting, intriguing things. But there is a place that we are trying to get to the gospel. But to get there, we are dealing with other things. And in a class like this, we can't get to all of that, right? We're trying to give you some tips and ideas, but just recognize that's going to happen. Okay. Now there's this strategic and divine shift, and this will take us in the next week. And I knew we kind of get caught straddled here a little bit, but at the end of Acts 13. Um, If you look there, 44 through 48, you'll see here, okay, the next Sabbath, uh, this is Acts 13, 44, where he had been spending most of his time speaking to the Jewish people, men, brethren, Israel, he had spoke to them, many of them began to believe, Uh, 44, the next Sabbath nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said it was necessary that the word of God to be spoken to you first, Jewish people, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are now turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And so there's a shift. It's like titled it here. Just, there's a, and it's actually strategic. So now, remember the, the, uh, Acts 1.8, the gospel was going to go from Judea Samaria and uttermost parts of the earth well it's starting to shift now and this is this is you're starting to see the shift and verse 48 when the Gentiles heard this they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as uh, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region but the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas interesting again right these are God's chosen people and they isn't it crazy? We, I had a discussion with some friends this week about this cosmic conflict. It's a crazy, co- these, these are God's chosen people and they end up by becoming the enemies. I mean, he's talking, right? It's a conflict. It's just, it's crazy. Um, but what's, what do they do? Verse 51, they shook off the dust of their feet and protest against them and went to Iconium. Okay, and that goes back to Matthew. I mean, remember Jesus sent them two by two into cities and all that sort of thing, and he said, okay, they don't listen to you at some point. You shake your desk off your feet and you move on. And there's something in that too, you know? And I've, I think I've shared that in this class over and over, at least, again, a little bit of, out of my own life and perspective, was that, um, you know, at some point, it's not about just continually arguing with people. At some point, somebody's been given over completely. And, and even in a culture, it's an interesting discussion. J.D. and I've had that, you know... Um, Sometimes it just feels like even a nation or, or portions of a nation have been just so given over, I, not, I don't want to go and in, enter into a big fight with everybody about it. You know, right? I mean, you get there and you think, okay, I, I'd love to go back to the university and do things, but if you're going to sit there and everybody's going to scream and yell, I mean, is it really, you know, what's the place for that? I, I don't know. I'm not. That's a different discussion, right? But, but we want to get to people that God is preparing and talk to people who want to be talked to. Right? I mean, that's that's the point. And so, at some point, you do kind of shake your dust. And I don't know how to do all that entirely. You know, we keep praying, we keep longing for stuff, but sometimes you can't talk to people. And it's not, you know, you did what you could. And uh, 52, disciples were continued. Disciples means those that were converted, were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so, again, I've already brought this up, but then you turn around and you get to 14, and I already said this, but you get to 14, and what's Paul do? Even as much as he shook his dust off his feet, he goes out to the next city, and the first place he goes, synagogue. <laughs> So, there's something about that. Okay. Um, Shuck the dust dust off their feet. Now, let's go on here, then. Um, I didn't know where we would get this morning. We only have 10 minutes left, so I don't want to kind of get caught totally straddled, but let's look at this. Um, There's a shift going on now. They're going to Gentiles. And what we're going to do the rest of today, we only have 10 minutes left, and then next week is we're going to talk more about how they dealt with Gentiles, which is different than the Jews, okay? Okay. Again, that's And I didn't spend a lot of time on it, because I think you can pick that up. But like in Acts 13, dealing with the Jews was different, right? They had a lot of pieces. You could talk prophecies, you could show the Old Testament, you could show how Jesus was the Messiah. But when you go to the Gentiles, it's a new discussion, because they don't have the same pieces. And that's true of everybody we communicate with. Certain people have certain pieces that you have to recognize. So let's look at this Acts 14 briefly, and then probably next week I'll have to segue and come back to it. But they go down here to... um, Uh, Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed. Isn't that awesome? Jews and Greeks. But once again, look at verse 2. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. You find this a lot if you really pay attention. It's just crazy. It's like, but you're God's people. What's up with that? So, which will be a divine turning, right? There'll be a turning like God's going to go back and re. Change those people's minds, many of them, right? In, in whatever period of history is, and he's going to bring the Israelites back in. It's just, it's a wonderful story. So, uh, let's drop down here. So, verse 4 the people of the city were divided, some side of the Jews, some of the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of uh, Lycaonia, Lystra, and Derby. So they fled. So Again, here's a, you, know, you could say a nuance. So, do we stay in there for the battle? Is it the noble thing to do? Well, sometimes, but sometimes it's like, get out of here, man. <laughs> Shake the dust off and get, like, get out before they kill you. It's not wrong. There's a place to do that, right? And that's what they did. They said, let's get out of here. And so what's interesting now is they go to this area, uh, Lycaonia, Leicester, and Derby. And these cities are interesting because now we're going into a true, you could say, pagan Gentile world. Okay? And so, uh, it, but what they did, verse 7, they continued to preach the gospel. Okay? Like wherever they went, they continued. So I look down here quickly. Um, uh, this At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke. And when he had fixed his gaze on him, meaning Paul, right, and seen that he had faith to be made well, I wonder what that looked like, I'm not sure how he knew that, but said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lycaonian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Okay, so... They think that Paul and Barnabas are these pagan gods that they've worshipped. That's what, that's what they think they are. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So they think that Paul and Barnabas are these deities. But when the apostles uh, Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are the men of the same nature as you. And preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Which, just a little side note that I find interesting. You remember when, um, like, uh, I'm thinking Mark, I think Mark chapter 2, when Jesus healed or uh, forgave the, the paralytic sin. Remember, they lowered the paralyzed man down and he forgave sin? And, and, the, and the leaders were saying, Who can forgive sin but God? This is blasphemy. This man is calling himself God. If Jesus were a righteous man, and he was only a righteous man, a man, not the God-man, what should he have done? I've always thought about this. He should have tore his clothes. He should have said, no, 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 you misunderstand. I'm saying something different. But when they made that claim about Jesus being able to forgive sin and only God can forgive sin, Jesus knew exactly what they were saying, and it was like, yep, you got it right. Isn't that interesting? Because look at the response here of godly, righteous men. No, 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 you misunderstand. I'm not God, right? And they tear their clothes. And, they, and what do they do with it, though? Look at it. They tear their clothes, same nature as you, and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. They take this whole incident and they turn it right into the gospel, right? Back to God, man, Christ. Turn from your sin, trust Christ, right? Look at it. Who made the heaven and the earth and sea and all that's in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with good and gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. And there's more going on there. I've got five minutes left. Let me just make some quick observations of this. And again, I'll probably come back and do a little bit of this with you next week. Here's one thing you have to understand. Paul understands their worldview. I'm using the word worldview. They have a way of looking at life that Paul actually understands. Okay? And so... Zeus-Hermes, uh, they had, I don't know if you can see that, I'm sorry it's so small up there, but bottom line was this, in their tradition they had an idea that Zeus and Hermes had visited them one time and they blew it. They didn't recognize Zeus and Hermes when they showed up, and they missed out on it because of it. It was a story in their culture, and so now it's like, oh, we're not going to miss out this time, <laughs> and that's why that priest came running, see, and uh, so they, they understood their worldview. Um, they were polytheistic, they believed in different deities and different gods. Uh, they were a pagan people, and this is not Jewish people. Um, nature is influenced by the gods. they saw the nature you can see here. Uh, they had an idea that nature was influenced by the gods. I, I think of a missionary story where they tried to give some um, agricultural skill to a um, to to a, a tribal people in uh, South Africa, if I remember it correctly and they had a real hard time with helping them develop farms and develop uh, crops because the people really felt like they should walk around and just throw seeds. This is what they always did. If you gave them seeds, they would just walk around and throw it. And then they would pray and they would hope that some God out there that approved them would approve that seed and let it grow. And the idea of building a furrow you know, and putting the seeds in a row and fertilizing it and dealing with that... Their concern was that you're trying to manipulate our gods. Isn't that interesting? And so they would never do that, and they couldn't grow crops. And it wasn't until they understand the true and living God that they thought, oh, we participate with God. We're not manipulating God, and he can still bless us. Isn't that interesting? So that's going, that sort of stuff's going on here. Paul understands their thinking as polytheistic people and his nature. So when he goes in here, you see, the men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. There's nothing deity about us. And we're preaching to you a gospel that you should turn from what these vain things. What vain things? These polytheistic vain ideas. These, the ideas that you have that aren't true. So they're standing against it. You should turn from these things to who? The living God. The real God. Not all of these polytheistic ideas. And then what he says, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them? Or you should reckon to you uh, Romans 1, right? Like like God has put fingerprints of himself all over the world. We've said that in here before. People know. And he said, no, 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 no. He he gave a witness. Look it. He did not leave himself without a witness in that. He did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons. You know those crops that you've seen grow? You know those rainfall seasons and that fruit? That was God. He's appealing to what we call, what we think of as Romans 1, these natural things, right? So this is understanding their worldview, and he's using their worldview and stepping into that and bringing the gospel there. So there's a contextualization, again, a provincial city. These are kind of a, you know what I mean by provincial, like it's not cosmopolitan. You you could almost say rural. It's a small city. It doesn't have a lot of the, you know, yeah, I think you guys get it. Kind of a pagan small city. He says, men... We are men of the same nature as you. He starts using that, turn from these vain things. So think, we've been talking about the gospel, right? God, man, and when we talked about man, we emphasized the dignity of man, the incredible reality of what man has created in God's image. At the same time, right, we're really messed up because of our sin. That's what he's doing. You see how he takes that truth of the gospel and he kind of inserts it in a context, context that they live and, and again, you know, we've got to be careful with all that. We'll talk about that more. But that is what, what's going on here. He's taking their ideas and coming in and going, oh, here's the gospel. Okay? By the way, that's that's another interesting conversation. Um, it happened a lot in when you think of the church history, okay? We had the Protestant Reformation prior to that. We think of, you know... Uh, uh, catholicism you think of roman catholicism i mean the church wasn't split and divided the same way you had all sorts of different missionaries going out into the world christian missionaries and this is where a lot of the discussion came believe it or not they would try to contextualize to a point that you'd step over a line they would contep- contet- uh, excuse me, contextualize Um, like pagan ideas and pagan gods. You've heard these discussions like, where did Christmas come from? And where did these symbols come from? And I'm sure many of you have heard those discussions. Didn't that come from some pagan sun god or this thing or that thing? Well, they did do a lot of that. They'd go in and they'd they'd, they'd find these people. These were Christian missionaries. And they would see these people, you know, lifting up some kind of saint or something. They wouldn't have called it a saint, but some kind of hero in their culture. And they go, oh, we can take that and use that. And they would use that. And so there was, in a certain way, a right movement in missions. And this is where you get into discussions theologically and in Christian school, uh, seminary and education. When you get into this whole discussion of missions, it's like, okay, you know, where are the lines? And where are we going to, you know, how far are we going to go? And how far aren't we going to go? And that's why I said over the next couple of weeks, we're going to touch on some of these things. And I know that sometimes we get nervous, like, okay, are we stepping out of the truth, especially in the culture where all that's in question? And we really do have to be careful. There's absolutely no question. But yet, if we're going to cross into a different culture, we have to at some point understand what they're thinking. We have to understand what they're thinking. And we're going to see that next week. Paul did that in Athens supremely. I mean, he used their ideas and turned them on their head. But they were their ideas. And so, um, you know, Turn from these vain things who made the heavens and the earth. Uh, He permitted things but did not leave himself without a witness. Romans 1. He did good and gave rains, fruitful seasons, satisfying with good food and gladness. Okay. Enough for now. We'll probably dovetail back to that next week. But I just want you to recognize here, there's an understanding. The key thing here is Paul understands what they're thinking. And then he contextualizes the gospel into their thinking, uses what they're thinking as a springboard to go to the truth. Then he takes them to the real gospel, the real God, the real scripture. See that? But he does start where they're at. And we'll see more of that next week. They do a lot of this in, in the book of Acts. So, all right, we're done. Ten sixteen. Bless you. I can't wait for worship. And uh, I'm sure there'll be much more conversation about this. So read these texts. Go home and read them and think about them. Let your mind stir around them. Okay, God bless you. See you in a bit.